Amen and amen. It is good to worship with the family of God and to hear the voices raised in his praise and to be reminded of what he does in our life day in and day out. If you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our sermon series entitled One Body, Finding Your Place in the Church. I was uh, reminded this week, uh, it was was interesting as I was looking through some different things, uh, found a quote that said this. It said, the easiest obedience to the Lord that we can do is to fellowship with other believers. All we have to do is get out of bed, get dressed, and go. And yet, for so many of us, there are, I would even say for almost all of us at different points, there are times when getting out of bed and getting dressed and going is the most difficult thing we think we do all week. And so the quote goes on to say, It is the easiest form of obedience, and yet we have a hard time doing it. So why are we surprised when we have a hard time obeying him in other things? Why are we surprised when we have a hard time obeying him in the hard things if we can't do the easy things? And so my prayer is this morning, as we look once again at the importance of of being the church, of coming together, My prayer is is that we would have an overwhelming passion and an overwhelming desire to not just come here and and to worship, and, and certainly we want to do that, but also that we would have an overwhelming desire to be with the body of Christ, to be with the church, and to allow others to to love on us and serve us and and encourage us well, but then also to be an individual that God uses to do that for others as well. This morning, we take the kind of the next step in our look at being the church as we discuss kind of some of the practical things that we do as members. What are the, what are the things that we can say and kind of hang our hat on? This is what a member does. At the very core, this is what a member does. Um, and so hopefully by now you found Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 1 and going through verse 16. So if you would please stand with me that we can honor the reading of God's word this morning. Let's do that together as we hear from him. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we are thankful to be able to have the freedom to come to this place and to worship, to come to this place with brothers and sisters in Christ who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been, like us, adopted into the family of God and come before our Father and give praise and thanks. Father, we pray that as we do that, we would do it well. Father, we pray as well that we would hear your word, that you would speak this morning, that you would speak clearly to our hearts and to our souls, and that you would move us deeper into our relationship with you, but also move us deeper into relationship with one another. Father, that we would understand what it is to be a member of your body. Father, thank you again for the great gifts that you have given, for the great blessings that you have bestowed. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Given all that's taken place over the last several weeks, it's probably good for us to take a quick review of kind of where we've been in this sermon series so far as we have looked at the importance of membership and, and commitment to the body of Christ as we looked at two weeks ago, we started by talking about how Jesus loves the church. And we looked at Ephesians uh, where Paul is describing that a husband and wife, the relationship between those two should be based, should look like the relationship between Christ and the church and how Christ has loved the church unconditionally, how Christ has sacrificed for the church, even to the point of death, how Christ continues continues to care and provide for the church so that he may make her look the most beautiful that she can possibly be, that he has purposes and desires for the church, that when he returns that she would be glorious and perfect. And we said if, if Christ loves the church that much, then we should love the church that much. We said that loving Jesus means loving the church. Another way that we put it uh, that's the same as another author is that if you choose Jesus Christ, then you also choose his people. The picture that I gave for that was if you come to me and you say, Pastor Brian, I, I love you, but you ignore or you are cruel to or you harm or you disrespect my wife, then how much do you really love me? If you, if you say you love me, but you are unkind and cruel to Melissa, when you know that I adore her, that I love her, that I would do anything for her, then how much do you really love me? 
And the answer is, not that much. Your love's limited because you don't love the things that I love. You don't care for the thing that I care most about. The same would be true in us following Christ. It, it does not make sense for us to say, I love Jesus and I love him more than anything and I'm willing to follow him wherever he would lead me and then to say, I don't love the church. Those two things don't go together. That, that doesn't line up. Loving Jesus means loving the church. And loving the church means commitment, i.e. it means membership. It's kind of like individuals that go on dating forever and ever, and you know that, that at least one of them wants more. They want that commitment. And at some point, that comes to a head. At some point, that relationship's going to get to the point where it's like we're either in or we're out. In the same way, if we say that we love the church and we say that we follow Jesus Christ, then at some point, we've got to get to the place in our life where we make a commitment to a local body of believers, where I commit to you, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here for the good times and for the celebrations and for the fun. I'm here for the food. Woo, we're Baptist. Okay? But I'm also here for the difficult times. I'm here for the grief and the sadness and the brokenness. I'm here for when you all drive me crazy. And I pray that you're here when I drive you crazy. Because it's going to happen. Because we're human. I'm not running away from anything. I've made a commitment, and that should be a serious thing. It should be an important thing for us to know that we've got each other's backs through thick and thin. And as long as the Lord allows us to remain in this place, that we're going to be here with one another. And so, having seen that Christ loves the church, having seen that loving Jesus means loving the church, having seen that the church, loving the church means making a commitment to the church, then we asked the question last week, what is a member? Who is a member? And we saw three things in Ephesians chapter 2. We saw that being a member means that you've been brought in by Christ. A member is someone who has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. At some point, there was a moment in your life when you understood that your direction was leading nowhere good. You understand that your rejection of God was, was leading to hard things. And you said, Father, forgive me. Father, I'm sorry. God, I, I, I've gone the wrong way. I know that I've rejected you. I, I want you. Forgive me of my sin. I make a commitment to follow you with the rest of my life. And you are born again, the Bible says, that your old life is over and you start something new and something fresh. A member is someone who has been brought in by the blood of Jesus Christ, who has been saved. A member is someone who has been bonded by the Spirit, we talked about. That <clears throat> when we, we believe that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, that he does something amazing and that he, he gives the Holy Spirit to live life with you. God himself walking alongside of you, guiding your direction, guiding your words and your thoughts, convicting you when you get off course and encouraging you when you're doing well. And that he not only, this Holy Spirit, not only does all those things, but he bonds us closer with Christ. He draws us closer and closer to him. And then in turn, he also draws us closer and closer to one another. A member is someone who has been saved. It's someone who understands the importance of community and the church. 
And a member is one who has been built up in the truth and is continuing to be built up in the truth. Ephesians 2, Paul says that in uh, verse 20, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He says apostles and prophets, meaning the Old Testament and the New Testament, all are used for the growth of the believer at the very heart being the words and the ministry of Jesus Christ, the gospel, all of it building us up into maturity of the faith. A member is someone who is growing in their faith, someone who is seeking hard after him. This is, a, this is the picture of who a member of the church is. So having seen those things, then we come to the point in our sermon series and the point where we must ask the question, if, if we are to be members and we understand who a member is, then we also need to ask the question, what does a member do? What does a member do inside of the body of Christ? And for that, we turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You go back to Ephesians chapter 4, which we just read, and we get to verse 1, and it says, I, therefore. Now, <clears throat> if you've been in church for any amount of time, or uh, if you're just new to your Bible, one thing that you either know or that you're going to learn is that when Paul says the word, therefore, it would be good for you to stop and to figure out what therefore is there for, okay? To figure out exactly what he's talking about and what he's building upon. And so just really quickly, I want to catch you up in Ephesians of where, we, where Paul has been and where he is kind of going for us to understand a little better what he says in chapter 4. So he has the word therefore. Therefore is built in part on what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is helping us to understand grace, that we have been saved not by anything that we have done, but by his work on the cross and in the resurrection, and that Christ came and that he found us and that he has offered us this grace, this undeserved favor that if we accept, then we are adopted into the family of God and given an inheritance because of it. It's kind of like the inheritance that you receive maybe from a, a family member or, or someone else. That inheritance is not necessarily because you have earned. In fact, it's probably not because you've earned it. But rather, an inheritance is something that you're given because of the re your relation to the individual. Because of a relationship that's there. In the same way, God gives us an inheritance that's far grander than anything we could understand. But Paul wants us to understand grace and our salvation. And he wants us to, in chapter 2, he wants us to understand the unity that brings. That when you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are brought into a family that's unlike anything the world has ever seen before. It's not based on human blood. It's not based on your genetics. It's not based on your ethnic background or your nationality. It's not based on, on your income. It's not based on your works. The family of God and the bond that we have with one another is based on what he has done for us. It's based on his blood. And so we come together as one man, as one body, as one family, Paul says in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he helps us to understand that this grace is for all. In chapter 3, Paul's driving point is, look, we have, we have been given grace. We have been saved as individuals based on what he has done. That has united us together into one church, one family 
And we need to recognize that that grace and that unity is for not just a few, but it is for the whole world if they will accept it. And so Paul, in essence, in chapter 3, gives us a a purpose. He gives us a directive to take the grace that we've been given and the unity that we have with one another and to go into a world that needs that same message, that needs that same grace. Having said all of this, helping us to understand salvation and unity and grace to all, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy. Go back to verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you had been called. He says, okay, now that you understand all of this, now that you understand grace, now that you understand salvation, now that you understand the, the call to unity in the church and the driving force to go out into the world, let's do it. And so Paul in chapter 4 gets into the practical parts of being a member. What does, it, what does a member do? What does a member do? A member first seeks unity. A member seeks unity. Go back to our passage. It says in verse 3, With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says, one of our main focuses as members is to maintain and to protect the unity of the church. The unity of the church. How do we do that? Paul gives us the path. He says we protect the unity of the church through humility, through gentleness, and through patience. All of these things modeled by Jesus Christ with his disciples, humility, gentleness, and patience are the same things that we are to do for one another. Humility, I think of, when I think of humility, my mind instantly goes to that night before the crucifixion. Jesus has gathered his disciples together. They're, they're serving the Passover. And at some point in that evening, Christ gets up and he takes his outer garment off and he wraps himself in a towel and he kneels at the feet of the disciples and he washes their gross, sandy, gritty feet to the point where Peter's like, hey, I don't, I don't want you to do that. I don't deserve you to do that. And Jesus is like, no, I, I have to. And Jesus, the Lord of all, the creator of all the universe, their Savior, their Lord, their Messiah, is washing their feet, the role of the lowest servant in the household. And when he gets done, he gets up and he looks at him and he goes, do you know what I've done for you? Do that to each other. Do that for each other. What he means by that is not necessarily that when we walk in here, that every Sunday that we're washing one another's feet, that would be interesting, to say the least. But what he means is that we put ourselves below others. That we don't think of ourselves more than we ought, but that we understand the words of Christ when he says, those that seek to be first will be last, and the last will be, shall be first. That we understand that while when we seek unity we would never sacrifice the word, the, the truth of God's word, but we do sacrifice our own preferences for the sake of others. Let me say that again. While we do not sacrifice the truth of God's word for unity, we 
do and are called to sacrifice our own preferences for that unity. To say, may I be less that he may be more. We, do it with, we seek hum, unity with humility. We do it with gentleness. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we're not all on the same level of maturity and that we're not all in the same places of life. That all of us have times in our life when we're weaker than maybe we were even a month ago, that something has happened and we're struggling and we need a gentle word. We need somebody to show kindness. Uh, the, as a three-year-old little girl, Rosemary loves the show Bluey. And if I'm honest, I probably love it more than she does. <clears throat> There's jokes that she just doesn't get. But in, in one of the episodes, the dad is playing with the children, and one of the kids loves, Louie loves the rough and tumble. She's, she's energetic. They wrestle. They do all kinds of things. He throws around. But then there's the little sister, Bingo, and he's, he, the dad is just as rough with the little sister as he is with the older sister, and it becomes a sticking point to where Bingo says, you're just playing too rough. And they have a conversation there. And sometimes we need to remember that, that not everyone's on the same maturity level, that not everyone's on the same spiritual level, that not everyone's in the same place of life, and that we need to be recognizing that, that we need to be gentle with one another. Not everyone's ready for rough and tumble. Not everyone's ready for, for the prophet. Sometimes we need to come with one another with gentleness for the sake of unity, we also come in humility, we come in gentleness, and we come in patience. Sorry, we come in patience. So much so that he kind of repeats himself. He says, we, we come with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Galatians 6 says this, it says, brothers, if anyone, sorry, yeah, Galatians 6, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. We bear with one another, we're patient with one another, we're gentle with one another. We look at the, the picture of Jesus with the disciples and all the things that happen I think of James and John who got their mother to go ask Jesus, hey, can we, can we serve with you? Like, can we be in charge along with you? And Jesus, Jesus is just like, okay, <laughs> you sent your mom to ask me this question? But he doesn't, he doesn't overly rebuke them. He doesn't strike them down. He just teaches them. He instructs them. He, he guides them back to the right path. All of the things that Peter says and Lord knows Peter loved to put his foot in his mouth. God is patient with him. Even when, G even when Peter denies Jesus three times, in the resurrection, Jesus appears to Peter and he corrects him, but he does it with patience. He bears with him. Well, brothers and sisters, may we have that patience with others because Christ surely has shown that patience to us. I was talking with a pastor the other day, and he was talking about his congregation being stubborn sometimes, and I just couldn't relate to that at all. But he was talking about his congregation being stubborn and his congregation dealing with some stuff, and, 
And we were talking about some things, and I said, you know, those are times that I'm reminded that God must look at me and go, good golly, he's stubborn. And the pastor, my friend, looked at me and goes, I didn't need that reminder today. But God has been incredibly patient with me, much less anybody else. He's been patient with me. And so how much more, when I come to the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters who have been bought by the same blood that I was, should I be patient with others, to bear with others, to wait for them to see things and understand things. We read the church covenant from our 1890 church covenant, that commitment that the members made to one another. And I'm reminded of what it says in there. It says that we will be slow to take offense and we will be quick for restoration. We will run to restoration. What a picture. Brothers and sisters, we are a big family. And if in a big family, you're going to have rubs. You're going to have people that get their feelings hurt. You're going to have people that annoy you. You're going to have people that you think should grow up and mature faster than maybe they have. And let me get, tell you this, more than likely, and I, I am saying this for me, you're probably doing that to somebody else. Be patient with one another. Be gentle with one another. Be humble towards one another that we may have unity. It's a huge deal. In part because Christ tells us that's how they're going to know you. They're going to know you by your love for one another. They're going to look at your relationships with one another and go, there's something different in that church. And they're going to want it, at least some of them. He says that a member should seek unity and humility and gentleness and patience. He also says that a member should use your gift. Verse 7 of our passage, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And, the, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Paul uses a lot of words there about ascending and descending. Understand this. When Paul is talking there, what he's talking about is that Christ came here. That he descended from heaven to the earth. That he may accomplish the will of God. That he may live a perfect life and die for our mistakes. And then that he may rise again on the third day, sealing the victory over sin and death and sealing the promise that one day we too will experience the resurrection and live forever in a place of perfection. He has done that. And in his great wisdom, he did not stay, but rather he ascended back to heaven. And as he did so, he sent the Holy Spirit and he sent gifts to his people that his people, that his disciples, that the body of Christ would do the ministry and the work, which is to take the gospel to the world, to glorify his name. He has given us gifts. He's given you gifts. We see a list of those. We see the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. 
But there's other lists as we go through the letters. There's, hum- there's hospitality, there's service, there's compassion. There's a whole list of gifts that God has given to the church. And I am assured of this, that if you are his, you have one or more. You have one or more. You have a gift, you have a tool, you have an ability, you have time, you have resources. You have things that God has given to you in in this moment of life to be used inside of the church and in the ministry of the church. But it's hard when we have people walk away. It's hard when we have people that have those gifts and they don't use them. Kind of like we were talking with the kids. What if the hammer gets up and leaves and says, I'm out, I'm doing my own thing. I don't need the church. I don't need that fellowship. Well, it hurts them because they're, as a hammer, not going to accomplish a whole lot on their own, but it also hurts the church. Sometimes I, I look, and, and this is not at all just our church. This is every church that I've ever seen. But there's a lot of trying to drive screws, screws, trying to drive, well, sometimes it's like driving a screw, driving nails with a, with a screwdriver, it can be done, it can get accomplished, but it's not efficient, it's not easy, and it's not ideal. Brothers and sisters, we need hammers to hammer. We need those of you that are screwdrivers to do your work. We need those of you that are rulers to do your work. We need those of you that are, are a whole host of things to serve. Because Paul says something interesting in this passage. He says that these gifts have been given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Notice that it's not to equip just the pastor or just the deacons or just a select few. It is to equip the saints, the whole church for the ministry. You if you have been brought in by Jesus Christ, are to go and do the ministry of the church. And we as the church have a responsibility to empower you and equip you to do that. So what does a member do? A member seeks unity. A member uses their gift. And a member communicates the truth. Communicates the truth. Flip over with me just a little bit farther down our passage It says in verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Brother or sister, if you are a member at this church or or you desire to be a member of this church, know that you are to seek unity, you are to use your gift, and you are to communicate the truth in love. We all, at times, need people to communicate to us in love. Sometimes that's encouragement. Sometimes that's to come alongside somebody and say, you're doing a great job. Keep going. Sometimes it's to look at somebody and say, hey, I see this gift in you, this talent in you, or I see that you have some time available, or that you have a resource available. Hey, come alongside me. I want to show you how you can use that in the body, even when sometimes we don't see it in ourselves. Sometimes it takes somebody else to say, hey, I see this in you, and and to help us plug in. But we need to communicate those things in love. Sometimes it's to 
to come alongside someone that's in grief and to just communicate love to them and to support them and to pray for them and to just listen. Communication is not a one-way street. Sometimes it's to rejoice with people that are celebrating. Sometimes it's to come alongside a brother or sister and say, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on in your life? Why haven't you been with the family? Sometimes it's to see somebody and say, hey, I see you heading down a path that leads nowhere good. How can I pray for you? How can I, how can I walk with you to get you back where you need to be? Probably because I've been there before. I know where that path leads. Don't go, don't, don't make the same mistakes as me. We hold each other accountable, but we do it in love. We do it in a desire to, to build people up and to encourage them. What should a member do? A member should seek unity, use your gift, communicate in love, and a member should fellowship. A member should be a part of the fellowship. It says, rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into, the, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Brother and sister, if you're a member, you should seek unity, use your gift, communicate love, and you should have a desire to fellowship. Not just be here on Sundays, though certainly that is a huge part of our fellowship. To come together with the entire body of Christ and to sing his praises, to, to talk about what he's done in our lives, to talk about his word and to hear from him and to respond to him. Certainly this fellowship is good and it's fundamental to what we do as believers, but also to live life with one another. To live life with one another. To be there in the in the exciting times, and to rejoice in those, to be there in the hard times where there's grief and brokenness and sadness, and to walk those paths well with one another. That cannot happen if you don't know the other person. The middle of crisis is not usually the best time to build relationships. Sometimes they're forged in that, yes. But how much better if we have fellowship together to already have those bonds existing. To, to live life together so that when those difficult things come, we may manage them together. And when those great things come, that we may celebrate them together. God in his goodness tells us not only through Paul what we should do as members, but he tells us the grand results of this. And this is what we're going to close with. He tells us the results. He says that when we do these things, obviously unity grows. Unity grows. Going back to verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says unity happens. Lo and behold, when you pursue it, it happens. And it's for the good of the individual, and it's for the good of the world. Paul uses a picture of, of a, a young child or a, of a small boat being tossed around in the waves, going this way and that way, up and down. I don't know if you've ever been in the ocean, you've ever experienced waves like that, where the whole boat feels like it's almost in the middle of nothing, and it's just going up and down. It is a terrifying moment. And that's the picture that Paul's building 
But when we come in unity, when we bond together, the picture that Paul gives is it's like a, a bigger ship coming and pulling that little raft, that little dinghy that's being thrown around in the ocean, and they pull them behind the breakers, and they pull them into safe haven in the harbor, and they say, stay here, grow, mature, be safe. That's the church. We should be going out and, and finding members that are being tossed to and fro and bringing them in to safe harbor. We should be finding those that are lost, that are seeking something that they just can't quite figure out and bringing them in to the safe harbor that they may know peace, that they may know rest, that they may their wounds may be bound not just physical wounds, but emotional and spiritual ones. This should be a safe place for them. It's for our good, too. Like, we should have a safe place. We need safe places because we all experience those storms in life. We need, all need places to get out of the weather. And again, as I said, it's good for the world that we go and we do the rescue. We go and do rescue missions to bring others into this place. Unity grows for our, for, good, for our good and for the good of the world. Also, the saints, the saints are equipped. We've already kind of covered this a little bit, but going back, he says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. When we serve each other well, we enable one another to do more for the kingdom. We do more together. This is the cry of the Southern Baptists. This is the cry of the cooperative program. But it is just as true for the local church. We do more together than we could ever do apart. That's why it's important for you to invest, for you to participate. But it's also important for those of you that are already participating. It's also important for you to grab somebody and say, hey, I need help, even when you don't. That's hard. It's hard. As someone who often looks at things and says, I can just do it myself. <laughs> I can just get it done myself. It's hard to say, hey, come help me with this. Come be a part of this. But that's discipleship. <laughs> that's what we've been called to do. To equip the saints so that someday when you're gone, someday when I'm gone, that there are those that come behind us that know the work of the church and can carry it forward. The saints are equipped. The individuals mature. Again, going back to this picture of being built up so that we don't sway back and forth. We're not carried off by the waves of this world. We are to be the church. We're to serve one another, to care for one another, to do all these things that individuals may grow in their faith we have a responsibility to that. You've often heard probably the saying that it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a, it takes a church to raise a Christian. It takes a church to raise a Christian. We do this together, and we do it all in love. You'll notice he says that we are to bear one, with one another in love, that we are to speak the truth with one another in love, and that we are to be built up in love. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, let me show you a better way. Love one another. Do all things with compassion for one another. Brothers and sisters, as we think about these things, 
as we think about these things, about a church that is unified, a church that is together, a church that treats one another in humility and gentleness, a church that that bears with one another and is patient with one another, as we think about a church that communicates well with one another, that loves one another, that serves with one another, this is the kind of church that God calls us to be. Not only that, but it is the church that we want to be, that we want to be a part of. And I would say that not only is it the the kind of church that God has called us to be, not only is it the kind of church that we want to be and want to be a part of, but it is the kind of church that others will be attracted to for the glory of God. When we do these things, others see it and will want to be a part of it. And so the question this morning, the question this morning for you is will you strive for unity? Will you use your gift? Will you communicate truth in love? And will you join in fellowship? Maybe you've been here a member for decades. This morning, will you make a new commitment before the Lord to strive for unity, to use your gifts, to communicate in love, and to join in fellowship? Maybe... Maybe you've been visiting for a long time and and we love that, but maybe God is calling to you and he's speaking to you today and saying, hey, it's time to make a commitment, to be a part of this body now. We would love to open the arms of fellowship to you, to bring you into the family. Maybe this morning, you're more like the little raft that's adrift. And you're in a world and you're being tossed to and fro. Every moment, the threat of breaking apart is right there. And you need safety. You need rest. We shared this yesterday, but Jesus calls to you. He says, come to you. Come to me, you who are heavy laden, you who are burdened. Come to me and find rest. This morning, will you come to him? Will you you confess that your way of doing things has been not the best, that it's been wrong? Will you confess your sins and say, Father, forgive me for rebelling against you? Will you come to him and say, I make a commitment to follow you, knowing and trusting that you desire what's best for me? Will you do that today? Will you join the family today? going to have the praise team come back up and we're just going to have a time of response this morning i don't know how god's speaking to you but i know when his word comes that it calls for response it calls for a response wherever you are in life and so this morning i pray i'm going to pray here in just a moment that the lord would give you give you the words give you the courage just to step out into whatever he's calling you to right now. Let's pray. Father, we we do come before you, and again, we thank you for the church. Lord, we thank you for this body of believers that you have put together in one sense that spans the whole world and is made up of people that we have never met. And yet, Lord, when 
when we see them in glory, Lord, it will be like we've known them forever. And Father, we are thankful for that and what you've done and how many you've gathered to yourself. At the same time, we're thankful for this local church, for First Baptist Church of Vandalia and the people that you've put here and the people that you have brought to this place from different backgrounds and for different reasons, but that you have, you have bonded us together. Father, I, I pray this morning for the one that's sitting here who's been a member here a long time. And maybe they're just tired. Father, I pray that you would give them a fresh fire and a fresh fresh power from your spirit, fresh love for your church and for the work of the church. Father, I pray for the one that is here that that they fellowship well with us on Sundays and we're thankful for that, but Lord, that you're calling them into something more, into something deeper, Lord, that you would give them them the courage to, to step out, to to hunt for someone and and say, hey, where can I fit in? What what can I do? To be brave, to say, hey, this is a ministry that I have a passion for and that they would run with it. Father, I pray for the one that's here that, that they've been visiting with us. And Lord, we're thankful for that. And Lord, I pray that or that you would just let them know that, that this is where you would have them to make a commitment, or that this is the family that you have you have desired from them for them from the beginning. Father, I pray for the one here. That you are knocking on the door of your their heart. Lord, that you desire to come in for them to know you, for them to know salvation, forgiveness, for them to know rest. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart and that they would accept you this morning. That they would have, again, the courage to step out and say, I am his. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.